Now, in the history of the church, how things often work out is that there are uh, a particular set of theological opinions on a given topic, and they're in competition with one another. So some theologians will hold to this school of thought, some theologians will hold to school of thought B, there might be a school of thought C, D, so forth and so on. And uh, there's many topics where that's the case. But oftentimes what happens is the debate becomes so intense and so important that the church's authorities step in and make a judgment as to which one of these is actually the right view. Okay, And that's kind of like how the history of, of the theology of the church goes. Is There's a debate, and then the magisterium, the authority of the church, the hierarchies, uh, the bishops, and, and the pope will, will make a decision. And uh, there was, maybe in the 19th century, in the 1800s, there was a kind of a, a debate with theologians, and they said, now, are all Catholics, all baptized Catholic Christians, are they all called to Christian perfection? Are there two distinct routes? You know, there's some people who are not... Uh, Maybe there's some people, lay people, who are not called to perfection, and maybe it's only monks and nuns who are called to perfection. Is that the deal? So maybe there was a, a variation of that kind of thinking. And then there were other theologians who said, no, all baptized Catholic Christians are called to perfection. All. Lay people and religious and priests. They're all called to perfection. <clears throat> well, this kind of debate continued on, and you can read books from 1920 and 1930 that take various sides on this issue. But then the Second Vatican Council came along and said, it, all are called to perfection. All are called to perfection. Okay? So the church's magisterium at an authoritative level, at a level of an ecumenical council, decided that the true answer to that debate is that all are called to perfection. This is what we see in our Lord today, where he says, be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And I think this is probably not said enough. Now, it is true that a, a, a priest, I'm responsible for many, many souls. You guys are responsible for your own individual soul. Okay? And so I have a, a greater obligation to tend towards perfection than you guys do by virtue of the fact that, you know, i got to be in a good place so that I can help out other people's souls, and not just my own soul. Um, nonetheless, we're all called to perfection, all of us. Lay people, clergy, religious, we're all called to perfection. And that is very, very clear, I think, in the Gospel. Now, I, I put before you two examples uh, to try to encourage us in this. If I can kind of kick myself in the butt and kick you guys in the butt here, I, uh, I hope that you know your, your retreat today is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to kick you in the butt a little bit and give you a boost and get you going down uh, the right path in a more uh, resolved and resolute and decisive manner. I have two selections here. One is from St. Augustine's Confession. St. Augustine, this is from the 4th century, so it's a long time ago, 300, uh, about the year 350, 360, 370, so 4th century, long time ago. And uh, St. Augustine he, in his journey towards uh, the Lord, he, he was baptized when he was, I think, 31 or so, 31 years old. And from the, his mother, Monica, we all know, uh, was, uh, was a Christian. Um, he would attend the liturgy when he was younger, but he wasn't baptized uh, until he was in his 30s. And, uh, but by the time in his late teens, he was kind of led astray in two ways. 
First of all, he was led into a lot of uh, sexual sin. Okay, so that's one way that he was led astray. He was also led astray intellectually. He was a very, uh, he had a very profound intellect. He was an academic and he became basically like a teacher of rhetoric, a teacher of how to speak and how to give orations and speeches. Okay. Um, it took him about 15 years or so, or maybe a little bit less than that, 12 or 13 years for him to kind of work out his intellectual problems and come to the point where he saw, you know, Christianity is true. So that was one issue that he had working. But after he came to that point, it, he was still left with the fact that he lived uh, kind of a, a dissolute life. Um, not, not as gross as some people might, but he, he lived a dissolute life uh, when it came to the issue of chastity. And uh, even when all his intellectual doubts and troubles and difficulties were solved, he still said, oh, I don't know if I can do this because he felt the weight of his many sins drawing him back, drawing him back. And there's a very powerful scene uh, right before the moment of his conversion where he's in this garden and his, his, his internal turmoil and uh, there's this kind of an image that he has in his imagination. It's of two women. And there's this one woman, uh, or I would say one set of women, who are the memories of all his you know, escapades or whatever in the past. And it, here they are, they're saying, oh, do you really want to become a Christian? You know this X, Y, and Z won't be lawful for you anymore. Are you sure? Okay, so you got this kind of temptress sort of scene. But then he's turning his back and he sees another woman this woman is a symbol of, of self-control, of chastity, of continence is the word that's used in this translation, of holiness. And it, she does this. She puts out her hands, and in her hands he sees an example of all of these people who have lived holy lives. And so he's encouraged by the example of others. And she says to him, and this is the, in the handout that I have, i got it in bold here, she says, can you not do what these youths and maidens can? Or can one do it of themselves and not rather in the Lord their God? Why do you stand in your own strength and so stand not? Cast yourself upon him. Fear not. He will not withdraw that you should fall. Cast yourself upon him without fear. He will receive you and heal you. And so he felt the wound of his sins. And he was afraid to really give himself with a strong resolution to God and to goodness and to holiness. But here is this image of virtue coaxing him on in a, in a kind of a friendly, mocking tone. And she's saying, look at all of these people who have done it. You can do it. All of these people did it. Why are they different from you? So be encouraged. And also, did they do it of their own strength? No. They depended upon the strength that comes through the Holy Spirit. They depended upon God. You're trusting in yourself. That's why you fear. That's why you don't think you can be holy. That's why you, don't, you think you can't strive for perfection and attain perfection. It's because you're trusting in yourself. Rely upon the Lord. He's not going to let you down. He's never done it before. Look at all of these examples. So here she is giving this really inspired uh, you know, encouragement to St. Augustine. And as the story goes, he makes this very strong resolution and from that point on, he lives a very, very holy life. He becomes baptized, and he becomes kind of a hermit, and then he's chosen to be a bishop and all of this stuff. In any event, that's St. Augustine. Now, some people might say, well, 
look, I mean, he became, uh, you know, he became kind of like a religious guy and, you know, he, he lived as a monk and then he became a bishop. It's like, we're just lay people. We can't do that. Well, so that's why I got the second story, okay? So this is from, uh, also from the fourth century and it features this one monk, uh, by the name of Macarius, who is a very well-known, uh, hermit who lived in the desert. And he was an ascetic, and he fasted all the time, and he was a very, very holy man, very spiritual man. And he's praying one day in the desert, and the Holy Spirit says to him, Macarius, you are not as holy as these two women in the city. And they're lay women. And he's like, okay, well, let me check this out. I've got to go and figure out what makes them so holy. What's their secret so that I can learn from them? So he goes and he knocks on their door, and he's invited in by them. And uh, <clears throat> these two ladies uh, were not related by blood, but they married two blood brothers. So they're living together. So the brothers live together in the same house, and so then their wives live together with them in that same house. So that's how they, how they live their arrangement. This is in Egypt. And uh, he says to them, he says, you know, so what's your secret? What makes you so holy? And they say, Believe us, Father, they told him, we have not been absent from our husband's beds to this very day. What sort of work do you expect from us? And so they're saying, you know, we continue on as normal married women. We have relations, marital relations with our husbands. We're not holy. We're not like nuns. We're not, you know, celibates that live in the desert like you. You know, what do you expect from us? We're just average lay people. Okay, they're being humble. And the reality of it is, is that if you could see into their souls, they were actually holier than this monk, Macarius. And the elder apologized to them and begged them, saying, show me the way you live. Because he knew from inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they were holier than him. And they said to him, we are unrelated to each other by blood, but it happened that we were married to two blood brothers. And look, today we have been living in this house for 15 years. We are not aware of ever having quarreled or spoken a shameful word. It crossed our mind to leave our husbands and to join the ranks of the virgins. But despite frequent pleading on our part, our husbands did not agree to this. That was something that was done at that time. Sometimes married women would say, you know, they would raise their children and then with the consent of their husbands or married men would do the same thing. they go and they join a monastery, okay? So that's something that was done at that time. They wanted to do that. And the husband says, no, 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 no. We're not going to let you do that. <laughs> you got to stay here, okay? And so frustrated in that project, we took an oath to each other and before God that we would not let worldly talk pass our lips until we died. When Abba Macarius heard this, he said, Truly there is no virgin or married woman or monk or layman, but God looks for a deliberate choice and he gives the Holy Spirit to everybody. So my brothers and sisters, if we want to strive for perfection and holiness, we have to make a deliberate choice. It's a strong resolution. And that's what Lent is all about. But do not fear, because God gives the Holy Spirit. So it's not our strength that we stand upon, but it's the strength of God. 